It's time to get in the zone. The Fantasy Football Zone. Hey guys, where else would you rather be? Get involved with the show by following us on Twitter at DraftThatGuy. Want a piece of that championship? Put it in here. This is the Fantasy Football Zone. Welcome back into the Fantasy Football Zone. This is PJ. Excited about this edition. We are getting you ready for your Keeper League Draft. And once again, joined by NFL writer at Rotowire, Corey Smith. All right. Exciting times ahead, Corey. Thanks for having me again. One week closer to uh, the season kicking off and really getting into draft season here. So excited to talk some ball with you today. And this episode, this is near and dear to my heart, the Keeper League, because I have been in one for 20 years and there's so much fun, but there's problems with these drafts. You sometimes get a little too much into the future, and you don't think about this actual year coming up and trying to win it because you want to dominate for years to come. And I always seem to fall sometimes into that trap, especially when we're getting to the later rounds of the draft, of uh, looking at guys that maybe are a little consistent, but I always want that new shiny rookie wide receiver or running back. And that's what I kind of always see is the downfall sometimes of these keeper drafts. There's no question about it. And it's, it's all about the balance. And it also depends on how many keepers you get to retain year to year, of course. The kind of layout where you can hold on to 50% of your roster uh, and you don't really feel strong about your team coming into this year necessarily you know, you can build more to the future, but if you're only keeping two or three guys on yep. a 15-man roster, then it becomes more, to me, I'm focusing on winning today, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll fill in the younger guys, of course, but I think the more you can retain on your roster, the more you're looking to the future generally. And the key point you said there, too, is how many guys you can actually, you know, hold on to from year in year. If it's only two, then, yeah, you're not uh, maybe looking at a lot of these rookies because there's going to be a lot more out on the table for you when you start off because basically your third round is your first round. But if it's three or more, then there, it's a little bit more challenging on uh, what's available right out of the gate. Definitely. I think these first two guys we're going to discuss are kind of the best of both worlds. I mean, at least for the first guy on my list here for today at the running back position, that being Jonathan Taylor, the rookie out of Wisconsin. He was the second all-time leading rusher and was just short. He, he came within 25 yards of running for 2,000 yards as a freshman. Had he done that, would have had three straight 2,000-yard rushing seasons. And I think based on his physicality as a runner, he's going to translate well really to, to most offenses in the NFL. But if you look at the position he's going into, of course, they've got Marlon Mack, who's a really sturdy back in his own right. But Taylor, he's going to have an opportunity this year to be kind of a flex guy. We'll see how he develops. I think he'll be stronger and stronger as the year goes. But in terms of what he has up front, it really doesn't get any better than what the Colts offensive line has. with Quentin mm-hmm. Nelson, Anthony Costanzo, Ryan Kelly, to name a few. Braden Smith has kind of transformed made a rare transition from college guard to tackle. He's a really good player as well. So I think Jonathan Taylor, to kick things off today, he's not a guy who I think, sure, he has top 10 potential for this year, but I'm not seeing that as the likely outcome. Mm-hmm. See him as a flex for this year, but an absolute future stud. I don't know your thoughts on the young man from Wisconsin. Well, we're familiar with him around here. And, uh, yeah, I think uh, with the system he went to, and especially with the offensive line, like you said, it could be good things. I don't. I wonder, though, this year how much Marlon Mack might cut into him because he's been kind of a fantasy underdog the last couple of years, 
And I wonder how much Frank Reich will feature him if it's going to be a 50-50 timeshare or not heading in. I don't know yet. So, I mean, for this year, I don't know. But for the future, I, I'm with you, though. He he definitely is on my radar for keeper. No question about it. And Marlon Mack, very quietly last year, just under 1,100 rushing yards. He's missed time. He's missed at least two two games in each of his three NFL seasons, which could open the door for Taylor as the season goes along. But certainly, I mean, it's a tough call. I don't think you want to rely on him as one of your top two backs. More of a developmental guy with astronomical upside, for sure. Next guy we're going to talk about in our last episode, we talked about how much we love him. We both love J.K. Dobbins going to Baltimore. Somewhat of a same situation of, well, Mark Ingram's going to be the starter, but we also think Dobbins with the upside is going to be awesome, and especially in the keeper league. He's definitely one to keep an eye on. No question about it. I think Dobbins will have utility this year as well, just operating within the reigning number one rushing offense in the year from uh, 2019, uh, the number one rushing offense in 2019 in the Ravens. I think J.K. Dobbins is a guy that his ADP in keeper leagues is much more reflective of who he is. He's going as a top 15 back in a lot of, a lot of sites in keeper leagues, whereas for redraft, he's more of a guy going around RB35. Now, the market's starting to react. I've seen his ADP, his average, average draft position, come up a bit since we last talked last week. But Dobbins, more so, would probably be aimed towards the future. Certainly, if Ingram were to get hurt, he has enormous upside. But mm-hmm. Dobbins is more of a lean to the future, in my opinion. And then we go to Kansas City. This guy, I'm sure, is going to be uh, off the board quickly in a lot of your drafts. I wonder what the future is going to hold for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going to Kansas City. Again, we've heard all the great things going on. I I saw the quote, and I had to put it in our notes, that Andy Reid said, he reminds me of a better version of Brian Westbrook, which is a positive, even though I know Brian Westbrook is kind of a hot topic with fantasy owners, but uh, hopefully he's not going to be sitting down on the two-yard line after a big run or anything at the end of the game and cost you a championship. But I, I like where he's going with this. And with that usage of you know, out of the backfield, receiving and all that good stuff, I, I kind of like this situation for uh, him in uh, Kansas City. Are you going top 10 with Edward Zelayer here? Any, any format, redraft or uh, dynasty, do you have that much confidence? Because for me, I mean, behind him, they got DeAndre Washington, Daryl Williams. Maybe they eat into his work share a mm-hmm. little early season, but I'm yeah. thinking it's pretty much going to be let it rip from the start with them. I, I do too. And, and for example, my league, we keep three guys right away. So we have 30 players off the board when we start. He's on the board. I'm guessing whoever's got the number one pick, he's going to be gone. I, I That's just me. So I he's going to be a hot commodity, and I would roll the dice on him this year. I think it's worth it if you're on the, on the back end of round one. I think definitely worth it. And I, I love him in keeper, no question about it. Mm-hmm. Number one rookie off the board this year. And, yeah, it just the talent's going to be there and uh, the weapons there in Kansas City. I, I, maybe the other thing I'm just wondering about, though, is he going to be one of those where they get into the five, the four, the three, you know, down to the goal line area, he's coming out. I, I don't know. And we know Andy Reid, too. Sometimes he just doesn't like running the ball around that area. It's a good point. We'll have to see if the touchdown production is quite double-digit especially as a rookie breaking in with the, you know, no OTAs and whatnot. But like we mentioned, I think he's going to get enough work, even if he's not a monster in the TD department and the touchdown department, still a starting, I definitely think an RB1 is fair for this guy, which for a rookie back, you know, you see that, but in a shortened off season, it would be less likely here. His over his situation is just overwhelmingly good. So 
M and KC, it's an all-go. And then another running back I'm looking at for keeper leagues. Now, again, maybe not high off the board, but Miles Sanders in Philadelphia, and I know it's always with Doug Peterson, it seems to be running back roulettes, and sometimes I like to stay away from those situations. But he did pretty good last year in what was a weird situation with him and Jordan Howard splitting carries. He had 50 receptions out of the backfield, and I know that Eagles wide receiver core was uh, decimated with injuries last year, but I still think... I think he can outdo that mark of 50 receptions last year. And, I mean, he is a heck of a talent. Uh, when he came out of Penn State, everyone thought, well, this is Saquon Jr., and I, I'm kind of high on him this year. What about you? Well, it took a while for him to get rolling last year, but once he got underway, I mean, he was he was the guy. Certainly Jordan Howard heading out to Miami may up his touchdown total. We will see. Definitely a versatile guy and an offense that, you know, Carson Wentz, he missed some of the late season with injury, but with a full season of the guy with that much upside of the quarterback position, Doug Peterson offense, and we just saw the confidence in him build last year as the season went along. Late in the season, he was consistently getting 15-plus touches for the last five games. He had 15-plus carries. Just a guy who can really eat you up both as a pass catcher and on the ground. I mean, he's a borderline RB1. Certainly there's some risk taking him and relying on him as your top guy. But tons of upside with Miles Sanders. I don't know about Saquon Jr. I think, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, Saquon Jr. may be fair. Of course, the Penn State ties. But, yeah, I'm pretty high on Sanders this year. But as an RB1, I'm borderline. I'm not completely sold just yet. Well, we're going to transition now to uh, some of those wide receivers you might be looking at. And I, I always know the wide receiver category, it's <laughs> – it's very crucial to get some some of these top guys and hit on these guys. And I know the running backs, you know, those are the ones that primarily get kept year in, year out. But it's important to have uh, one of these wide receivers to build those slots, depending on how many you got to fill during the draft. And uh, you got a name out here. I, I was kind of surprised at, but I, I now that you, you know, think about this and the situation's changing for him for N. Keel Harry, yeah, I guess he can be one to watch for uh, for keeper leagues. When you think about a roster construction that Bill Belichick's going to build, he is all about the cake and less so about the icing. And if we're talking about building a championship team, typically receivers are the icing. You need a great line, offensive and defensive side, a quarterback. But he is the first first-round receiver that Belichick has ever taken as the coach of the Patriots. The last one they took was Terry Glenn back in 1996, <laughs> actually four years before Belichick got there. Yeah. So that, to me, says a lot. If Belichick is going to invest a first-round pick in this guy, he must believe in him. And last year, I know Terry, I mean, in and out of the lineup, Brady, we know, typically doesn't trust young receivers. He expects exact routes, and he builds trust with guys, you know, who may not be six foot five guys who are yes. running four three forties, but he can trust over the middle to catch – catch the ball and run a precise route, exactly like Edelman would have done, or yes. you know, James Wett out of the backfield. If you look at the, the numbers last year, it was very top-heavy for the Patriots. We had Edelman with 100 catches, James Wett with 72. The next leading guy was Philip Dorsett all the way down at 29. But now we've got Brady out, Cam Newton coming in, and we've seen young receivers excel with Cam Newton in the past. We've got Devin Funches when he played with Cam and the Panthers in 2017, Near 900 yards, he ended up with 840, eight touchdowns. Just a solid year for him. I think we would take that on a kill Harry. Uh, Kelvin Benjamin, like uh, 
like Funch has had success at a young age with Cam Newton as QB. Mm-hmm. Uh, big rookie year, over a thousand yards for, for Benjamin as a rookie playing with Cam. And we've seen Cam like those big body receivers like Funches in the red zone. Uh, Harry is six foot four, and really there's not a ton of targets, uh, especially stretching the field for the Patriots. You got Edelman and Sanu at receiver who are, you know, good route runners, middle of the field guys, but Harry may have some utility as someone who can stretch the field. Not a guy I want to start, but I think in Dynasty with Josh McDaniels, he has a lot of upside. I don't know where you land on Harry. I think that his situation, kind of a banged-up year, Brady doesn't love throwing to young receivers. I think he's a little underrated going into 2020. Yeah, and I think you put some good points out there, especially with uh, Brady doesn't trust the young guys, but if your last name was Edelman and Welker, you would see a lot of balls come your way. So I, I think with Cam, he does like to go deep. And I think that could be a positive thing for him this year and uh, with him coming in there. I could see him, like you said, not high on the draft board, but he's in there. He's in the mindset of maybe a guy that, uh, yeah, for the future. They're, look, they're going to need somebody in uh, New England for years to come at that, at that spot because who knows after this year with Cam, and that's a great building block and piece to have. Certainly, and there's no guarantee. We see guys at all positions bust, and especially at receivers, yes. but. He is extremely well-situated at the moment, and I think that this is a year to throw a flyer at him, and he's going to go pretty cheap in most. I've got to bring up the second-year second wide receivers that are coming into this year, and some of these guys, you know, it depends how deep your league is keeping guys, but A.J. Brown, he might be off the board, but if he's not, obviously look for him. Terry McLaurin, Marquise Brown, D.K. Metcalf, Debo Samuel, I mean, this 2019 rookie class of receivers, I saw the stat come across. They put up the second most wide receiving yards in NFL history last year. Uh, the number one class it consists of the class of 2014, which is Mike Evans, Odell Beckham Jr., Devontae Adams, Brandon Cooks, Allen Robinson, Jarvis Landry, Sammy Watkins. So pretty good set of receivers coming into their second year here. What do you see from uh, this group? For me, I'm loving Metcalf at his current value. I mean, this is a guy who was really involved last year for the Seahawks. It's the opportunity, and it's also who he's playing with. So Metcalf was on the field for over 83% of Seattle's offensive snaps last year. And coming in, I don't know if we all saw that. He was a guy who dropped a little bit in the draft. I think the negative vernacular at the time was he was a, somewhat of a one-trick pony. Yes. Like what route can this guy run besides the go route? Can he actually change direction uh, in the short and intermediate? And he's certainly still rounding into form in that regard. But if you think about his opportunity to score, he had three more end zone targets than any other receiver in the NFL last year. He actually had 19 targets in the end zone, did Metcalf. The second best receiver in the entire league had 16. And you also think about Russell's ability to throw it deep. He absolutely drops dimes. I mean, you know that Mahomes has as big of a cannon as anyone in the league, of course. And there's other guys with sure arm talent, Josh Allen, et cetera, not nearly as refined, but have the arm talent. But the way that Wilson just drops the ball in, I don't know if there's anyone who quite can drop the ball in the bucket like Wilson. I mean, there's certainly some cases to be made, but that definitely works well with Metcalf. I actually see this dude as having top 10 potential Metcalf. No joke. Mm-hmm. He has huge upside, and I, I think that his uh, ADP and auction price are both pretty low at the moment considering his upside. Yeah, I am a DK Metcalf believer. I Last year in the draft, I was uh, surprised in, that he did slide where he did, and he went to Seattle where they wanted him the whole time. I think 
what was it during his combine or something that he took his shirt off for Pete Carroll. So it was kind of funny that he actually ended up there. But, uh, I mean, they, they know what to do for him and all this stuff. But Terry McLaurin is a name I'm intrigued with this year because, yeah, he proved himself in his rookie year. But I, I'm having a hard time believing that it's going to repeat itself this year. What, do you, what about you? I definitely think he's a fringe wide receiver, too, in a 10-team league. If I'm thinking of acquiring with more, I love him in my slot, but as the number two option, I don't know about you, that's a little bit shaky for me. Even with the Haskins connection, of course, they go back to their days at Ohio State. Yeah. As a two in a 10-team league, maybe in a deeper league, but I'm a little bit skeptical. I'm, I'm more looking at him in a, in a flex spot for a 10-team team league, I think. Once again, we are being joined by Corey Smith, NFL writer at rotowire.com as we continue our Keeper League draft special. Speaking of the uh, rookie class of receivers uh, coming into this year, I mean, they're pretty impressive. Uh, could be putting up some big numbers this year. A guy that I'm starting to like more and more and more is uh, Henry Ruggs III in Oakland, and maybe I'm just a sucker for typical Oakland wide receiver draft picks where they run a 4-2-40. I, I don't know. Maybe that's what it is, but I'm, my thinking here is why Ruggs might be the breakout wide receiver this year is because, A, they don't have anyone else. Uh, they had the Antonio Brown, obviously, last year. We know how that happened because they didn't have Antonio Brown, and they thought he was going to be their deep ball threat. I think now they have it with Ruggs, and I think he could have you know potential you know good connection and chemistry with Derek Carr. So maybe I'm a little too high on him and I'm not saying take him right away off the board, but I'm saying in the later rounds, maybe when you're looking at those comparisons of wideouts, Rugs might be a good fit for him. And speed kills, we know that's exactly yes. what the Raiders typically look for. It seems like coach after coach, uh Al Davis or no Al Davis. Speed wins, baby, and they go for it in the black hole for sure. Uh now moving to Vegas of course that's very exciting to have him. I know that Derek Carr typically is average depth of target. He's known as a little bit more of a conservative player. Now, that doesn't mean that Ruggs can't run after the catch or even Carr can progress as a deep thrower uh, or just take more chances, uh, which is something that you know has been hit or miss in terms of aggressiveness, uh, pushing the ball down the field. That would be the detriment I could see. But that doesn't mean uh, Ruggs can't kill it after the catch or, you know, build some chemistry with Carr over the course of this year. Yeah. We'll be interested to see about Mariota, too. I mean, this yeah. is, they have the highest paid backup quarterback in the NFL. Just a real quick note. I mean, there is some pressure on Carr this year, is there not? Yeah, there is. It, that was the whole intriguing thing because all of a sudden the Mariota signing was like, whoa, okay, and uh, maybe grew to, And you always heard the reports that they maybe were going after Brady as well or, you know, that Gruden was, you know, not always sold and so keen on Derek Carr. And uh, when they signed Mariota, it's like, oh, well, maybe that's a little, there's a little truth behind that. Yeah, that would be, that would certainly be an interesting scene to watch play out, especially with Mariota coming from the situation where Tannehill took his job. It's almost, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. poetic. The situation that could unfold, we'll see. Obviously the best at Derek Carr. I hope he has a big year this year, and we'll see. And now, again, the other rookie wide receivers that, uh, again, you might take a flyer on later in the draft, C.D. Lamb, Michael Pittman Jr., Justin Jefferson, Jerry Judy, uh, some of those guys. Do any of those you believe? I mean, I, I know you like Jefferson, right? Do you think he'll... Definitely, yeah. Do you... Mainly because of opportunity, and he's a guy who was incredibly... Had an incredible ability to go up and catch the ball in traffic. Mm-hmm. He, by a far rate, led the entire uh, Division One last year in contested catch rate. He was over 90%, the next best player in the entire country, under 70%. So this is a guy 
in Jefferson, who knows how to catch the ball in traffic, obviously going to have tighter windows moving to the NFL, even from the, the best conference in college football in the SEC. We need a guy who can catch the ball in traffic. And we also talked about the advantage of it being talked about in Vikings camp that he's going to run out of the slot, where, of course, we've seen Thielen have a ton of success. Thielen, by the way, I don't know if he's getting enough credit, but he could definitely be an easy wide receiver one, if not a top and wide receiver one. We've seen all the talent. Yep. And him just being an underdog story that is just a superstar. So, of course, feeling right at the top of the radar, as we know. And then also, I want to look at some of those third-year wide receivers. I am kind of a believer in the rule of the third-year wideout where they have the big boom year after that, after three years in the league. You got DJ Moore in Carolina, Calvin Ridley in Atlanta, Cortland Sutton in Denver, Michael Gallup in Dallas, DJ Shark in Jacksonville. Uh, some Just among some of those names that are third-year wide receivers, might be worth a pick this year because, like I said, I believe in that theory. Three, Whatever it is for wide receivers, their third year, it seems to take off, and it looks like a lot of these guys some good situations this year. Definitely, and I think that of that group, DJ Moore may be the most accomplished, and he's just really come on as a star. I'd love to see him develop, and to see him with Bridgewater will be an interesting connection. But I know a lot about the Falcons from covering them, and I know that, Ridley over the final quarter of the season really took off. And a big part of it was simply there being uh, fewer mouths to feed. Now we had the mid-season trade of Mohamed Sanu mm-hmm. going to the Patriots, and that really opened up some opportunities for Ridley. He averaged nearly 95 or just around 95 receiving yards per game over the final quarter of the season, three touchdowns those final four weeks. So I think there's a lot of opportunity offensively. I think the targets will be spread out. We've got Hayden Hurst coming in, who I like, but I don't know if they'll trust him as much as Hooper. So I do think there'll be perhaps some targets there shuffling around. I think that really does definitely have wide receiver two upside this year, especially with the defense in Atlanta. I'm not sure about. They could have some high-scoring games this year, as they typically have in recent years. Now I'm going to transition over to the quarterback position. And I know in keeper leagues, mostly, unless you're Mahomes, you're probably not keeping these guys on your roster or whatnot, but some of these, you know, they, you know, it's an interesting thing to look at because you never know. Someone could come out of the gates and they're on your radar. And you starting off with the first overall pick, Joe Burrow. What do we expect? We know Cincinnati was terrible last year, but they had a lot of injuries and other things going on. Uh, with now him in the system, what can we believe? Because, I mean, he just blew up last season in college football. So will that continue now to the NFL for him? Killed college football. Just absolutely a backup at Ohio State, of course, and native of Ohio. Comes up at LSU, 60 touchdown passes, breaks Cole Brennan's record from 2006, just six interceptions last year for Burrow. Of course, legit of legit competition playing in the SEC, going, running the table in the playoff. You like the weapons there, too. I mean, he's got, he's got Tyler Boyd, A.J. Green coming back. Not really sure what to expect with the recent injuries to the veteran, but Mm-hmm. Man, he had, of course, Pro Bowl potential and was as consistent as any receiver through his first seven years in the league. Uh, Joe Mixon, a really good back, and they also get T. Higgins from Clemson, yeah. uh, someone who was on the opposing side in the championship game, uh, early second round. And then kind of a sleepy move is, well, not so much a move, but just a guy coming back is a left tackle Jonah Williams from Alabama. That will shore up the blind side for Burrow in year one. Now, overall, I'm going to level with you, Paul. I love Joe Burrow, and I think that he is, you know, maybe not quite the gravitas of uh, Elway or like an Andrew Luck, that kind of generational QB, but close to it. I mean, he really, really had an incredible season last year. But you think about this offseason and his position, 
Uh, I'm a big fan of former Cincinnati Bengals MVP, Boomer Esiason, and I, I kind of do lean on his experience here. He, he really laughs about the learning curve that Burrow is going into week one, and I, his, favorite, his famous quote is, he has no idea what he's stepping into. <laughs> I, I believe it. I really do. I think with no OTAs, look, since he spent a lot of money this offseason, they went and got Trey Wayne. They got some guys on the defensive side of the ball, had a really good draft, but still. I mean, I love him in uh, Dynasty. He's yep. a top 10 Dynasty quarterback. But for this year, 2020, I think he's outside of my top 20 mm-hmm. for a redraft league. Now, what about the other rookie, Tua Tagalova? And I screwed up his name, but he's going to Miami. <laughs> Tua, who we thought was going to be the number one overall pick before Burrow just burst sure. onto the scene last year. You know, the injury concern, I guess, a little bit. Uh, what do we know? Is he going to be on track to start, or is it going to be Fitz Magic for the first couple weeks in Miami? Now, my understanding from a health perspective is he's doing all right, but it I'm hearing a lot of buzz about Fitzmagic in the early season. And you know, any team that has Fitzpatrick on the roster, <laughs> he's getting in there one way or the other. Yes. He starts, he's getting in there. And, you know, you love it, but. It depends he, what four uh, week span you have of him, you'll love him. I mean, that's what it is with him. It's true. I mean, he's the guy liable to go out and throw four touchdowns off the bench yeah. or go throw, go throw five picks in a must win week 17 game yes. against the Bills, for yeah. example. Yeah. But. I think that Tua, we expect him, especially with a young team and Brian Flores, he'll probably open it. I do see them opening it up, of course, and him getting 12 starts this year. That's my bold, I mean, maybe not bold, but my projection. Uh, Not knowing much, of course, and having no inside info, I'm thinking that's a good over-under, 12 starts or so for Tua. Uh, Definitely a guy who has that ability to get around, but one reason he got hurt a lot at Alabama was maybe because, or at least this is what I've heard from coaching staff members, is a little bit he's thinking he can get away from people more so than he actually can. And that will certainly be exponentially more true in the NFL where everybody is, you know, all conference and yeah. better. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I'm not super high on Tua this year. It's, all, it's the Fitzmagic effect and, you know, the short and off season, just like Joe Burrow's dealing with. But, you know, in terms of a dynasty league, He's a top 15 quarterback. For me, he's a top 15 cornerback in, in Dynasty. But for redraft, I'm, I'm not super intrigued, Paul. I'm not sure your stance on Tua for a deeper league maybe, but I'm not super intrigued for this year. I, I think he's a waiver pickup maybe midseason, if that. I, I, if yeah. That, that, that's how I look at uh, his situation. Now, I'm going to bring up some guys that have you know last year's rookies. Daniel Jones of New York. I don't... You brought up a great point in our last episode where last year he had basically none of his weapons on the field at the same time, and he put up fantastic numbers for considering what he had to deal with. And I thought when they, yeah, when they picked him number six overall, I thought, what are oh. they doing with this guy? I thought he had no chance. He proved me wrong. <laughs> I sent it with my brother, who's a Giants fan that night. His jaw, his jaw hit the floor. He could not believe it. Yeah. I mean, he, he didn't want to judge, but he was definitely uh, not hot on the pick at the time. And I think Giants fans have really come around. Yeah. Since. I think so, too. And, and here's the other thing. You know, brand new coach, because when they drafted him, I think they still had, you know, they really they picked him, but they didn't really, I think, want to change their ways from what they had set for Eli. Now they got a new system coming in. I think that's going to better fit him, and I, I think it could be a you know keep an eye on him. I'm not saying again 
Not going to pick him maybe QB1. I, well, maybe I would later on in the draft. Depends on how, what we're looking at. But I, I think you got to keep your eye on Daniel Jones this year. I don't think there's any question about it. If we're, if we're going to punt on the position and really just wait, wait, wait it out. Yeah. And I'm sure there's other people, too, in our leagues, especially if you're in a more experienced league, we're going to have a similar idea. So he might, get, he might just get randomly picked right in front of you in a, you know, a more yes. experienced league. But generally, if you're willing to wait, Daniel Jones is definitely a guy with huge upside. I kind of compared him to Josh Allen of last year. Now, mm-hmm. he may not have quite the rushing upside, certainly. Josh Allen is really a spectacular talent as a rusher. He's really become that. But Daniel Jones is tough. He's a tough SOB, and he'll put his head down. He'll run for a first down. He'll, he'll jump in for a fumble. He certainly fumbles a bit too much. Yeah. But... We're also looking at a defense that I think is going to be pretty porous this year as we're talking about, uh, man, the secondary, uh, really concerned about the secondary depth, and I'm also pretty concerned about the pass rush. I mean, Marcus Golden was certainly a nice pickup last year. I think he got to double-digit sacks for the Giants, kind of a surprise or very close to double-digit for Marcus Golden, but I don't see the pass rush, and I certainly don't see the secondary. So that's what I see being another benefit for Jones is just the Giants are going to have to be throwing the ball in the second half of games this year, I think, quite frequently. And i got to bring up last year's number 1 overall pick, Kyler Murray. Uh, again, last year, pretty decent showing, 20 TDs, 12 interceptions. He had some of those rushing numbers there, and we always love those rushing quarterbacks. Just look at Lamar Jackson last year, last year's MVP. We love them all the time in fantasy. If they can run for 100 yards and throw for 300 and have a couple touchdowns, we love that fact. Uh, throwing in DeAndre mix, DeAndre Hopkins into the mix here this season, I think that helps him out. And uh, you know, where do you see him? I guess in the, in those quarterback rankings, and of course for the foreseeable future, the future's got to be bright for him. Future is very bright, and he is certainly a trendy pick this year for redraft as well. Now we saw Murray come in last year, Cliff Kingsbury, an offensive coach, and there's really a lot of question marks about. Is Kingsbury a guy who can win? He's, he never really won at Texas Tech. Uh, can he do it in the NFL, or is he kind of going to be a just a fantasy, hopefully a fantasy phenom or a fantasy phenom-producing coach? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that it, it may be more the latter. I'm still not convinced quite of Kingsbury. As an NFL coach, we will certainly see. But there, an offense is going to open it up, and Kyler Murray is going to have the ball in his hand. This is a dude who can make plays with his legs. And he's incredibly accurate, too. I mean, him and Baker Mayfield, both coming out of Oklahoma, certainly the upside right now with Murray seems a bit higher. But there's not much more of an exciting young quarterback right now than Kyler Murray. The buzz with him playing for the Cardinals, small market team, may not be as high if he were to play for, you know, the Giants or a team of that ilk or the Cowboys or something. But definitely a guy who, regardless of where he's playing, people know about the buzz. And he came on as the season progressed last year. Yeah. A bit of a slow start, but over the last 11 games, he led the, that Cardinals offense to three-plus touchdowns in eight of those final 11 games. Developed as the year went along, Hopkins is a huge get. I mean, we talked about the trade. It's a great trade for the Cardinals, and that's a big get. Kirk is the number two. Fitzgerald there, incredibly experienced, man, coming back for another year. The weapons are there for Murray, and I do think that he's definitely a top 10 guy with top five upside. And we're going to switch over to tight ends here. And sometimes in keeper leagues, I have witnessed it. 
you keep one of the top one or two. Gronk was always one of those that would seem to be kept, or maybe uh, you know he would be one of the first off the board because that was the strategy for whoever had uh, what with the roster already. We got two guys, might be the same thing you're facing with your team putting it together out there that maybe I'm keeping Travis Kelsey or George Kittle because they're basically their team's number one wide receiver, uh, more so in the Kittle case than uh, with Kelsey. Obviously, he's got Tyreek Hill over there, but keep that factor in too. Certainly, and I think the one thing playing in Kittle's advantage or the main thing as a dynasty asset is the fact that he's four years younger than Kelsey. Yes. Now, of course, Kelsey playing in Kansas City, we've seen a sterling example of Tony Gonzalez playing till you know, his late 30s. So Kelsey certainly has plenty of time. He's only 30 years old now. And his upside playing with Mahomes is immense. Uh, it's really just a question of which guy do you like better for fantasy moving forward. This year, I think I've been seeing Kelsey go higher typically, but it seems like Kittle being four years younger, just on the racist extension ever for a tight end. I'm seeing Paul Kittle is typically the more highly selected dynasty tight end among the two. And then we're going to throw one more name out there because I I kind of liked him with Baltimore last year, but then all of a sudden Mark Andrews emerged as the guy. And mm-hmm. they, they trade him in the offseason to Atlanta, and that's Hayden Hurst. And uh, I, I think later rounds, we're always searching for tight ends. This guy, I think, might be sleeping on you know people's radars because you know he didn't do much in Baltimore. A guy with some good potential. Absolutely great potential. A former uh, minor leaguer with the Pittsburgh Pirates. He really did get buried. I mean, it's pretty unfortunate to end up uh, on the same depth chart as Mark Andrews, it turns out. Uh, he actually went a couple of rounds later than Hurst in their uh, respective draft for their mutual draft. Mm-hmm. But to show you the kind of investment that the Falcons were willing to make, they did give up a second-round pick for Hurst in, okay. in the trade to acquire him earlier this offseason. As you mentioned, pretty quiet production, just 43 catches in 28 games for the Ravens. But the, the slot that he's going to be filling, there's going to be an opportunity there. We've got Austin Hooper, back-to-back Pro Bowl uh, nods for Austin Hooper. He was briefly the highest-paid tight end in NFL history going to Cleveland. He's out of the mix. So that right there is 100 targets up for grab for Hurst. Now, Necessarily, are all those going to go to Hurst? Of course, not necessarily. But Ryan, Matt Ryan has been really working one-on-one this offseason with Hurst. Uh, Hurst was driving from his home in Jacksonville, Florida, all the way to Flowery Branch or close to the uh, Falcons practice facility to get together with his quarterback. They've been working a lot this offseason. Uh, you know, you can take those things with a grain of salt. But overall, this is a guy, not a ton of opportunity, but zero career drops. And now he's going to get an opportunity for the offense that led the NFL in pass attempts last year in Atlanta. So I think that Hurst, if you're going to wait, go, you know, basically a zero tight end strategy and wait till rounds 12, 13, he's a guy definitely I'm looking at. And once again, that is NFL writer at RotoWire, Corey Smith. Big thanks to him helping us out on this Keeper League edition on the Fantasy Football Zone. So exciting with Keeper League drafts, especially if you hit on one of those rookies. And if your league rules let you keep them 
from year after year after year. I mean, that is, there's nothing better than that feeling. So best of luck in your Keeper League drafts. Our next edition, oh, don't worry, auction players. We are going to get you already. Got some of that strategy coming up, what your budget should look like, and some other good stuff coming up in the next edition of the Fantasy Football Zone. Subscribe to the Fantasy Football Zone and give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Follow us on Twitter at DraftToThatGuy. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Football Zone podcast.